Hi, I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Pete Scazzaro. So today we have a great uh, treat for you. I'm going to share with you from a message uh, from Matthew chapter 17 called Listen. It's a story of Peter, James, and John being invited by Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration and where Jesus is transfigured before him. Uh, and, you know, it's an incredible moment there on that mountaintop. And Peter begins to make plans. And Peter's always in a hurry, much like us, to advise Jesus. And he wants to build three booths. And uh, Peter's trying to do the right thing. Uh, he interrupts uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus having this conversation. Uh, and, but instead of waiting and listening uh, to Jesus, uh, he's he's making a speech. He's making plans. And, and then, you know, God the Father speaks from heaven and from a cloud and says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's the climax of the, of the text. And and what God says is, is that he wants Peter as a leader, he wants us as leaders to fear and reverence the son, to listen to Jesus more than any other person on earth, more than any other project on earth, more than any other program on earth, and more than any other cause in the world. Uh, there is nothing that comes close to its importance of listening to what is Jesus saying and learning to discern uh, what he's saying and uh, how he's coming to us. Friends, that is perhaps uh, the most or one of the most important learnings for all of us as leaders. It's been a very long journey for me. Uh, clearly, a turning point uh, came in the early uh, 2000s when I uh, got introduced experientially to the whole slow down spirituality contemplative tradition coming out of monasticism and learning from the likes of Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist and of course Jesus and the early desert fathers about silence and stillness before the Lord and that's when I realized that so much of my prayer life had been telling God what to do and not listening at all and it was a, it was a, it was a shift a, a gigantic shift for me uh, to actually listen. So it's still unfolding for me, of course. Many years later, I'm still learning and growing. Uh, but uh, I, I want to invite you that uh, to kind of listen to this message, you know, prayerfully wherever you are right now, because right listening always leads to this unfrenetic uh, obedience. And, you know, our notions for, for what's good for Jesus are, are so often just, they're just far off. And Peter here, in, in the context of his own following of Jesus, he, he's just resisting the, the downward slope of the cross. Uh, he sees failure as the worst thing that could ever happen uh, to the, you know, this great Christian movement that Jesus is leading. And just like we re so often resist failure and going down, and, uh, and, and we end up resisting Jesus as well. So that's why this passage is just so powerful as Peter uh, is rebuked by Jesus to to listen to him. And so I, I pray it gives you some nice insights as well on some practical steps. And uh, then I'll hopefully I'll build on this next week even more. So enjoy this message from Matthew 17 called Listen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 17. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. We're on a series called Vital Signs, a uh, pathway to a deep beneath the surface spirituality. Now, we've been doing uh, messages on these seven vital signs. What makes new life, one of the things that makes new life unique is that we are committed to a deep beneath the surface spirituality. Uh, not simply coming to church and attending and, and serving, but that your life is continually being deeply transformed by Jesus. 
And so we've identified at least seven areas that are critically important. You're in scripture, uh, Sabbath, you've got some spiritual companions, you've got silence and stillness as part of your life. Uh, And then we needed an S, so self-reflection or listening, which is today. Then we'll touch on skills and serving others. But today, I want to talk to you about listening uh, or self-reflection. So the title of the sermon is simply, Listen. And it comes out of our text on Matthew 17. So I don't know what you were like as a child growing up, but I grew up not listening to anybody that was in authority. I didn't listen to my teachers in elementary school. I did a lot of daydreaming, looking outside the window. Uh, I didn't listen in high school, uh, in classrooms. I didn't listen to my coaches very well either in playing sports. I kind of tuned everybody out. And I didn't listen to my parents either. That was kind of a given. Uh, I remember my wife, after we were dating, seriously, she came to dinner at my house for the first time. And she walked out and she, after dinner and she had a, like, her eyes were glazed over. And she goes, what was that? And I said, what was what? What was that? Everyone's just yelling and talking, but no one's listening. Everyone's talking over each other. And, and I said, I don't know. That was just dinner. I, I, didn't, I don't know. Just... That's when we knew we had a cross-cultural marriage, all right? And, uh, and so... Obviously, we got married. We didn't know how to listen to each other either. That was quite challenging. But, uh, you know, they've done studies now of all the tens of millions of dollars that are lost in the business world uh, because of poor listening. In fact, one study, uh, they studied 400 corporations in the United States and and the United Kingdom, and they found out that the average company lost $62.4 million a year because of poor listening. In fact, they said it was $37 billion total of these companies because of just bad listening. So, I mean, not, li- not listening well on a human scale costs all kinds of things, relationships, marriages, family breakdowns with children and cousins and relatives, neighbors. In fact, people die because they don't listen. There was one story about a fellow working at a power plant. There was a fire on the fifth floor. He was on the, in the basement, and they told him not to get on the elevator because there was a fire didn't listen, got in the elevator, an explosion happened in the elevator shaft, and he died. And so we hear these kind of things a lot about not listening. So today is about listening, but listening to God. And and if we were going to step back and say, what are the consequences of not listening to God? We could spend quite a bit of time on that. I mean, just think of relationship consequences, financial consequences, your whole destiny and future finances, I mean, future uh, life consequences. costs. I mean, the, the waste and loss of not listening to God are, are enormous. So, uh, you know, it's been said in Proverbs, the way of transgressors is hard. You can be sure of one thing. If you don't listen to God, life will be hard, harder than it needs to be. So, so learning to discern and answer the question, what is God saying is perhaps the most important or one of the most important issues of being a Christian. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I mean, do I stay in this relationship or do I get out? Do I go to this school or switch careers? Do I Should I go back to school? Uh, Do I confront my difficult supervisor or not? Or do I pray and I wait? Do I I marry at this season of my life or, or do I remain single? 
Do I parent my child in a particular way? Do I, do I put him or her in extra tutoring or extra programs at the school or sports or get, a, get him or her a mentor, or do I not? Uh, do I step out for Jesus and maybe lead a small group or get involved in the uh, CDC at New Life? Do I get involved in the worship team? Do I, do I get involved in prayer ministry? What do I do here? How, how do I use my gifts and my talents? And so that, we can go on, but these questions of what do I do? God, what are you saying to me? is really an everyday issue for all of us in this room. So I want to read us a text where uh, God is dealing with Peter. And Peter, in a sense, in the New Testament, is like a case study of somebody who listens very poorly. But gradually he learns, just like all of us. But it's, 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 he's a great model for us. So, so here's our text. Uh, it's on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. And uh, let's, uh, let's read it. Thus says the Lord, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish... I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. You know, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So the key phrase here is, listen to him. Because they're not listening. All right, so it begins, the passage begins in verses 1 to 3, where you know, they go up to this high mountain. Now, Peter, James, and John are, are the leadership of, of the church. And, and, and Jesus is, it says, transfigured. In other words, he's like, um, he's shining like the sun. He's appearing in all of his glory, you know, pre-resurrection, you know, pre-coming to earth, post-resurrection, that they're seeing who Jesus is on the inside. They're seeing him visibly. And uh, this, this is like the living God. And, and then Moses and Elijah are there who represent all the Old Testament law and the prophets, the fact that everything is summed up in Jesus. So it's this tremendous vision of Jesus. And so Peter speaks, and, and he says to Jesus, you know, Lord, hey, you know, it is good to be here. And if you wish, we'll put up three shelters. Now, I want you to know, like, Peter's, like, starting out really good. And, you know, you know, Lord, like, that's a good way to begin. Like, Lord. And then he says, it's good for us to be here. So he's being very positive. He's not complaining. You know, it's good for us to be here. It's good you brought us up here. And he goes, now, if, you're, if you wish, like, if it be your will. Like, that's a good thing to say. Um, you know, he's trying to do God's will. And then... He says, you got a plan. I will put up three shelters. I don't know about James and John over here, but I'm going to put up three shelters. In fact, Jesus, you get the first one. Moses and Elijah, they're back, but you get the big shelter, you know? And, uh, but what's important about this text is Peter is speaking and he's making plans when he should be listening. And he won't be quiet. Because Peter... God is, God is in the middle of speaking to Peter. I mean, he's getting this vision, Jesus in all of his glory, and Peter just starts babbling and talking, you know? 
And, and Peter just has a hard time listening, just like most of us. I mean, I, I don't know what you learned in your family growing up and how you listen, but uh, how, you know, how do you even imagine yourself as a person who maybe doesn't listen? You know, what do you, what, what do you, how do you see yourself? You know, is it like this? You know, are you like this? Or are you like this? God's trying to get through to you and people trying to get through to you. Or I suspect most of us are like this. We're like Gollum, you know, and, and Lord of the Rings. And so, the, the, you know, Peter is passionate to do a building project. I mean, he, he's got a good plan. He's thinking, we got, we got to build a building here because something great is happening. And uh, he's thinking, I'm going to honor Jesus. I mean, this is good. And uh, we're going to help people, you know, come to Jesus. And, but what you got to catch here is that right before that, Jesus is telling Peter and the disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to die, you're going to suffer. And Peter's thinking, we don't want to suffer, and we don't want to go to Jerusalem. We don't want this death thing. And if we build these booths and these, these uh, shelters, everybody can come up here and meet Jesus up in the top of the mountain. Why go down the mountain and have all those problems? And... Uh, so, but what you got to see in this passage is actually Peter is making progress because a week earlier, six days earlier, when Jesus tells him he's going to suffer and die in Jerusalem, Peter's response is in yellow there. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he says, this shall never happen to you. Now, he's definitely not listening. I mean, he, for, for Peter, failure is definitely not God's will. And going to the cross and being executed is a failure. And he doesn't have room for that. And, and uh, so for Peter, is this failure will not happen to you, Jesus, basically over my dead body. And Jesus says to him, you know, get behind me, Satan. You don't really realize, Peter, not, not only are you stubborn, man, you're like satanic right now, and you are dangerous making plans without God. And uh, Jesus shuts him up. But here is the climax of the story. It's in verse 5. Because it says, while he was still speaking, in other words, Peter's still talking. He ain't stopping. He's just going and going. So basically, God has to interrupt them. And a bright cloud covers them. Can you imagine? A voice speaks out. This is my son whom I love. I am well pleased. Listen to him. I mean, he's just going. And the funny thing, he's doing it all in Jesus' name. Kind of like, you know, are you done yet, Peter? And uh, Peter's a talker just like us. And he's, he's very feverish. And, and just like God's got to interrupt us, God's got to interrupt him. And so there's a great lesson in this, and it's a simple lesson, and it's important, just before I go any further, that following Jesus is not first doing things for Jesus. That to be a Christ follower, it's first listening to him. Speak, and then doing what he says. But that means that this issue of listening is so core for us to learn. How do I listen? Because that's so core to the whole Christian life. Or otherwise, you're just making your own plans. Doing your own, you may be a Christian, but you're just basically running your own life. You've got your own plans going on just here like Peter. And what's so interesting is Peter, James, and John, these guys are the cream of the crop. And they're not listening. And uh, Jesus realizes it's going to be dangerous. I, you know, in some ways, you can put it like this. We all want a spiritual life. That's why you're here. We want to be spiritual with God and walk with Jesus. But we just want to be in charge of it. And we want it to unfold 
according to our plan and according to our timetable. And that's just not the way the Christian life works. And as Peter was discovering that to follow Jesus is a low road. It's a mustard seed. Uh, it does involve the opposite of how the world functions sometimes. It's very countercultural. It's an upside-down kingdom. Uh, but God is very much alive, and God is speaking. God's speaking to you. God's speaking to me. God is a speaking God. He's a living God. I mean, he's speaking in your failures and in your disappointments. I mean, you may be on the verge of a mental collapse. God's speaking. You may be sick. God's speaking. You may be misunderstood by some friends, abandoned by your spouse, been betrayed, divorced, lost your job, dream been shattered. But I got news for you. Doors may be shut, but God is speaking to you. In fact, God's coming to you in funerals. He's coming to you at weddings. He's coming to you in therapy. He's coming to you in your pain of relationships. God comes in our singleness. God comes in our marriages. God comes when we're changing diapers. He comes when we're cleaning, di- when we're cleaning the house. God comes into prisons. He's speaking there. He speaks in classrooms and hospitals and Wall Street boardrooms. God's speaking at construction sites. You know, God's speaking in the bathrooms, all right? God says a lot in the bathroom. Crowded subway cars and traffic jams on the LIE and the BQE. God's speaking. In fact, God speaks through non-Christians. He spoke through Pilate's wife. God spoke through a donkey in the book of Numbers. He speaks through movies and literature and poems. He speaks through kind people that come into your life that say nice, kind words. God speaks through our limits. He speaks through when we're angry and depressed and joyful and sad. In fact, when you're, maybe you're in between in transition right now in your life, you know, maybe between jobs or careers or relationships. And hey, God speaks in those transition times very powerfully, very powerfully. Again, if we're listening. So you see, when, when disciples, they realize, oh my goodness, God's speaking. And it says it in verse 7, when they, when they heard it, that they fell face down to the ground, you know, terrified. It's almost scary. Like, oh my gosh, God's speaking to me. And I love when Jesus comes and he touches them. He says, you know, get up, don't be afraid. I just love that. So maybe you're like me. Listen, I, I've been a really bad listener most of my life, even as a Christian. But it's very comforting to know that in that process, Jesus comes to you wherever you are today and says, hey, it's all right, get up. You know, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you how to do this thing. I'm going to teach you. And it's like the, the whole gospel is in miniature right there in that phrase, get up. You know, don't be afraid. And... Um, because most of us, like Peter, we're, we're not listening. In fact, what's really heavy is many of us are on autopilot, kind of like on our car. You push that button, the car just goes. We're kind of just going through our life. And once in a while, we might hear something from God. But for the most part, we're just kind of like, we're just going. We're making decisions. And if God wants to say anything, just speak up along the way. And I will take that into consideration. But I'm, you know, I'm doing what I think is best. So the question then is really, you know, how do I listen to God? What could be more important than that? How do I listen? Now, I, I don't have time to do a whole big you know, course on that. So there's obviously some, there's some foundational issues that I want to lay the groundwork for that are a given. So for example, when you say, how do I listen to God's voice? It means you actually are open to do whatever he says. You're open to God's will. Or else you can't even ask because you're basically saying, God, what's your will? I want to hear your voice, but I want you to know that if I don't like it, I'm not doing it. 
Well, that's not really an honest approach, all right? So you're open. Secondly, that you're committed to Scripture. Um, you're, op- you're, 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 you're under Scripture. So, for example, you go for a job interview, and the, the interviewer is asking you about your, your previous employment, and you, are, you basically lie. You create all these scenarios of you as a tremendous executive. And the truth is you never executed anything. Okay, you know that's not God's will. I mean, you listen to God. Scripture says do not lie, all right? So, no. Okay, so you're under Scripture. You're seeking first the kingdom. Uh, you know, thirdly, that you're, that, you're, that you're getting counsel. The Bible says in the abundance of counselors, there's wisdom. You've got some people in your life who, you know, hopefully some companions with some maturity that you're bouncing stuff off about discerning and listening to God's voice because that's why it's so important we're part of a community here. You're not just a lone ranger hearing things and, and running. That's how crazy things happen. Bible's clear on that. And, and there's a place for, for prophetic words and, and dreams and, and, and visions and things like that. Those things happen. That's why we offer classes in that. It's very important. But, but today, I want to share with you and talk to you about a, a, a practical discipline or practice that is very core to New Life Fellowship, that is part of our culture and vocabulary in listening to God. In fact, for me, this was a turning point in learning and growing in listening to God. And it happened really in 2003 when I was exposed through the whole contemplative journey to something called the examine. Now, if you raise your hands, if you don't have one of these, if you don't have a bulletin, if you didn't get one, I need you to raise your hands and get a bulletin. If you need, you'll need a pen or a pencil as well by the end of our time. So raise your hands and let them give that to you. And uh, here you go. Yeah, keep your hand up, and the ushers, and we'll get that to you. Nobody in history has been more helpful in helping people to listen to God's voice than a Spaniard from the 1500s named Ignatius of Loyola. And something that's called the examine. In fact, his writings on how to listen to God are, have lasted almost 500 years. So the examine, actually, the prayer of examine, one of his greatest insights is that God dwells in our greatest desires. God dwells in our greatest desires. So let me give you an example. There was a fellow named Steve who used to attend New Life Fellowship Church, and he actually moved to the Midwest. And while he was in the Midwest, he, he bought a house in the suburbs and got a job, and he lived there for a number of years. But he and his wife had a great sense of something was wrong. Something was just disquiet in their own spirit. And so they bought a house in the inner city of St. Louis in a really tough neighborhood. And in buying that house, uh, they lost money. The house was a wreck. And they couldn't sell their house in the suburbs. They had two houses going on. So when I went to see him, I, I, I happened to be there, and we were talking, hanging out, and he was feeling all this guilt about having made this really bad financial decision. And, you know, he's going on and on and on about, you know, feeling guilty, and I was selfish in buying this house and just following my desires. And, and I looked at him at one point, and I said, Steve, Steve, don't you understand that God put that desire to be, he he missed being around different races and different cultures. He missed the whole urban of New York City 
And, and, and he was longing for it. I said, Steve, that was the Holy Spirit guiding you to that urban, to that, to that, to that block. And I said, that, that was, you should not be apologizing for having lost money and the fact that the people you're renting to aren't paying their rent out there in the suburbs and you're losing money. I said, because God was leading you. And he goes, oh my gosh. And so I, I, actually, I called him last night. I said, Steve, before I use his illustration, I said, I want to make sure it's, it's still good, you know? And he says, Pete, it has been life-changing for us. It, our spiritual lives have come so alive. We love living on this block. We've got all these friends. It's opened up all these doors to share Christ. And our spiritual lives have gone to a whole new place. If I, and so, but it came out of a theology that if you really want something and desire it, it can't be God. And, um, and he had a bad theology. And many of us have a bad theology. And Ignatius was basically balancing that off, you know, biblically. Another story, very interesting, I just heard a couple of weeks ago, we were in Korea, and this guy had gotten divorced after two months. So I said to him, I said, well, what happened? And he goes, well, you know, she was the boss's daughter, and, you know, she was a Christian, and she said it was God's will that we get married. And, and then we went, on a couple, we went on a couple of dates, and then her father, my boss, said we should get married. And so I thought, well, I don't really feel much towards her, but maybe. So then he went to a pastor leader and said, is it possible that God wants you to marry somebody that you don't want to marry? And so the person said, yes. That's what happened to Hosea. He married a prostitute. You know, it was a big mess. And so he married her. It was a disaster. But it, was, it, came, it comes out of a theology that if it's going to cause you to suffer, it's probably God. And I tell you, it's very common. And so what was so brilliant about Ignatius, well, I think he brought out this, this concept of God actually dwells in our deepest desires when we're actually seeking his face. And in other words, we listen to the movements of the heart. So these two words I want you to catch here. The first word is called consolation. The second word is going to be desolation. And you want to learn these two words. They're very important words. And uh, so we're going to do the examine together. Now, now, again, this comes out of an understanding that when you receive Jesus Christ, when you open your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. God himself is inside of you. And the Holy Spirit's moving and leading and directing you. He's whispering in your ear, John chapter 14. And so we want to be open to the Holy Spirit. And one of the major ways he speaks to us is through these movements of consolations and desolations. Now, consolations are the sense of relax. When you, when you feel like your, actually, your body actually feels it. You relax. You feel a sense of peacefulness. Uh, your soul is coming alive. You, you feel a renewed energy, a, a renewed freedom. And, um, you know, it's funny, I, I met a guy once named Edward Ong, and he actually, he, he was living in Asia, and he, he had this desire to go to East Timor, some of you know the place, is, you know, next to Indonesia, about, only about a million people live there, and there had been a war, that had just ended, and it was rated, rated one of the worst places in the world to do business. It, it, it was very corrupt, there was no infrastructure, and uh, 
he actually went there and built a hotel and for millions of dollars. Now he had millions of dollars. Now from a business perspective, it was totally foolish. But he said he had such a longing and desire in his heart, he went and did it. Now, Now again, I don't know if he lost money. I don't have millions of dollars, but he, he did it with a great sense of joy, even though from a business perspective, it seemed so foolish. And uh, it's kind of like Chariots of Fire, if you know that movie, the 1970s. It's a great movie. But if you remember about Eric Liddell, he was a, uh, he was a, a runner. And he was training for the Olympics. And his sister, along with the other Christians, were pressuring him to be a missionary in China. That if you're really a Christian and spiritual, you will not do this running thing. You'll do something really for God, and you'll go to China as a missionary. And so he feel, he's feeling guilt, and he's kind of being shamed. And, but he recognizes that God put this desire in his heart to run. And here's what he said to his sister. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. But he was aware of that movement of the heart of God's direction. If you see the movie, how God used it. Now, desolation is the name that's given to those feelings when your feelings are, you're turning away from God, anxiety, restlessness, you know, inner turmoil, you're just going downward and your body feels tight. You're like, oh my gosh, this feels like death. And um, it, it, it's, it's often an indication that you're moving in a direction that's against God's will. So I know for myself, for example, I mean, many times in the early days, the whole issue of how I functioned as a pastor leader at New Life for years, and I felt tremendous pressure in the early years to be a certain type of pastor. And so we just started, for example, just starting churches. We started a whole lot of churches very quickly in the early days. And I remember I was then in charge of these churches, not just our church here in Elmhurst, but, you know, Brooklyn and, you know, Bronx and parts of Queens. And I felt like, and I remember sitting in meetings and it'd be like, you know, four or five of us in a meeting, these other pastors, and, and I was like their boss, you know? And I remember like feeling like this is awful, like, I, I, death, like I, I wanted to run out of the room because the kind of problems and issues they had, I had zero desire to be involved with. Buying buildings and leases and all that. And I just, for me, it was very clear in terms of des- desolations, this was not for me, what God had for me. Yet I kind of did it because it was kind of expected of me. Even the whole kind of church we are, I struggled in the early years for a very long time about just being comfortable with what God had put on my own heart. Our values of, you know, multiracial, for example. I mean, I remember people said, this is multi. I remember my, my cousins coming to me, Italian-American, by the way, you know, and saying, what are you doing, Petey, you know? What are you doing? And I just, I knew there were certain values that were to be here with me as a pastor, when I was a you know, lead pastor in those early years, and I realized it didn't matter if everybody left the church. I just knew it's what God had for me and for us as a church at that point that it just was the right thing to do, even though, quote, logically, it may not have made sense. And that's consolation and desolation. And when I thought about trying to be like go after big numbers and moving out into the suburbs or whatever, getting lots of parking spaces, things like that, which would be nice, but it would be desolation for me. I, I just, I pay attention to it, I, I get depressed. I said, I don't want to be part of that. I'm, I, someone else has to do that. But it just wasn't God's path for me. And, um, 
And so when I get too busy, when, I, when I'm doing too much, and I got too much going on in my life, desolation hits me. I mean, I could feel it in my body, and I just get depressed. I just feel like, I, just, I, just feel, I feel like constricted. And it's God speaking to me. And he's saying, Scazzaro, listen to me. Because you're doing stuff that I never asked you to do. And you're, you got to slow down and pay attention to what I'm telling you to do with your time. But, so it's a time for me. I, I was with, you know, someone this past week. And she, someone had asked to be a volunteer with her, to work with her in her ministry. But she didn't feel, actually wanted, he wanted to be hired. And she had in her spirit desolation. She didn't feel right about it. But logically speaking, there was no reason. Look logical, hire him. And so what she did was she, she stopped returning his emails. She didn't know what to say. So she just cut him off. And because she was trying to figure out, why don't I feel good about this? But she didn't say anything. So then two months later, she contacts him and says, hey, let's talk. He's like, I don't want to talk to you. You rude, arrogant leader, basically. But I said to her, I said, it's okay. It takes time sometimes to figure out you feel desolation and you're paying attention. God, how are you maybe speaking to me through the fact of I don't feel right about this, but I don't know why. And you may need a month or two months to sort out why. So you just say to the person, I'm not really sure, but I need some time to ponder it before God and think about it. But I'll get back to you in a month or maybe two months, but at least tell the person what's going on, you know, so they know. But it's okay because it's often a process of quite a period of time before you figure out what is God saying to me on this issue? I feel desolation, but I'm not sure why, but I want to pay attention to what it's really all about. So, you see, Peter, what Peter didn't realize in this passage was, if you think of your house, your, your life is like a house, God was taking Peter somewhere wonderful. He wanted to make Peter's life a palace, not a small shed in the backyard. But he had to teach Peter to listen, to listen to what he was saying, because he was going to lead Peter in ways that he never imagined. In the same way, Jesus wants to make your life a palace. He's got something fabulous for you through life. But I can tell you this, it's going to be counterintuitive. It's going to take you places you couldn't imagine. You'll be with people you never imagined you'd be with. But, it, but you've got to learn to listen to him. But he will lead you into a life that will be like a palace. So with that, I want you to take out your sheet that's called the Prayer of Exam. And I want us to do it together. Now listen, this is more than just saying, I want to do what makes me happy. And I want to avoid what makes me unhappy. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about paying attention to the voice of Jesus through consolations, things that bring me joy, and desolations, things that bring me death. So I don't know if you, but like when you hear like, listen, some of you may hear God saying, shut up. All right. I, I don't think that's really how he's coming to us today. I think it's more like, please. Quiet. All right. So, so, you know, let's just let's try to be quiet here and listen. So, here's, you're gonna have a, hope you have a pencil or pen. What we're gonna do is I'm, we're gonna take about you know 30 seconds of silence to begin because you need stillness and silence to do this, and we're gonna do it in an abbreviated way. But let me let me give an example of what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you need a pencil, raise your hands. I'm gonna ask you to review your last couple of days and what 
you know, what you did yesterday and maybe what you did the day before. Think of Friday and Saturday. And think of the main event. So, for example, I thought of my consolations. Uh, some consolations. I, I went out to, it was my birthday a couple of days ago. So I took my brother-in-law and his wife and my mother-in-law, I took them to dinner. And it was my birthday, but I wanted to give myself a birthday gift. I wanted to pay for dinner. So I paid for dinner. And I felt such joy paying for dinner. I mean, I really, it was tremendous. And I, and I realized, oh my gosh, like God is coming to me. Like afterwards, I was like, wow, like as I did my examine, and that I'm in a season of my life where I only believe God is, he's been so generous to me that he's calling me to a greater generosity in my, in my life in general. That to look for opportunities to be generous to other people in ways that I have not been before. So there was a moment for me, but I had to stop and pay attention to it. You know, I had, I had a moment where, um, you know, I, I, took a, I took a kind of nice amount of time this past week of just even praying around. I, I really meditated on this text and just let it really sink into me. I mean, I was so excited about the sermon. I was like a rocket ship, you know what I mean? I was like, oh my gosh. And I, it was such consolation to me to just be relaxed, to enjoy the text. Like that was a really good thing. Like, Scazzaro, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it well. But don't try to do 90 things at once and, uh, you know, go slow. Um, I, on Wednesday at our staff meeting, after our staff meeting, I just kind of hung around for a couple hours and I talked with different staff and, you know, and I just had such a great afternoon with our staff team uh, on Wednesday. And I reflected on it afterwards about how God came to me like, Pete, that's a, that's a very important thing for you to be doing at New Life Fellowship is to have gaps, big gaps of time in your meetings. So you can just be sensitive to how I want to lead you to be with certain people and talk with them and pray with them and pastor them, whatever it might be. And, I, and I, like that's a, a, in terms of how my time is spent here at New Life is, as part of my Wednesdays, which is full of meetings generally. That was consolations. But I had some desolations the last couple of days as well. I mean, I had a conversation with the, with the person that, you know, an old friend from, you know, college days, and he was, he was criticizing everything and everybody that moved. I mean, he was going after cockroaches, probably. I don't know. I mean, politicians, Supreme Court, people we know, I mean, everybody. He was, and I just felt such desolation, you know, and I got off the phone, and I, I mean, when I did my exam, and I was like, well, I sure don't, I mean, first of all, I don't ever want to talk to him again, you know, obviously, I don't want to, I don't want to, but I said, God, how are you coming to me through this? And I realized I need to structure the conversations so that this doesn't happen again, because I don't want to participate in that kind of a conversation. It just, it, it, it killed my own spirit, it's just not, there's no benefit for it. Um, I, made, I made a phone call to somebody at New Life about a, an issue um, that I wanted to ask them about. And I did it. I only had five minutes to talk. I made the phone call. I said, you know, what's going on with this? How's it going? And it opened up a whole big issue. And there was a lot of emotion. And before you know it, the person was just letting me have it about all the things that need to be fixed and I should do this and this and that. And I realized, I got to go, you know? And I hung up the phone and I had such desolation. And so, God, how are you, how are you, how are you speaking to me through that? I, I really felt terrible about it. And I couldn't call the person back for a few hours, you know, and say, look, I'm really sorry about that. Make a long story short, and God, that, but Scazzaro, you know what? You better think before you make a phone call like that and make sure you have space for it because it's not a nice way to treat people. But for me, it was a paying attention to God about, Pete, you can't operate like this on the flip anymore. It's not fair to people, and it's not a very kind way to treat people. So Ignatius created this examine. 
that we're actually, he, he actually encouraged everybody to do it twice a day, every lunchtime and every time before you go to bed to help you pay attention to the voice of Jesus so you could listen to what is he saying and then it informs the way you go forward. Just, you know, this has become such a part of my life at this point. I live my whole life by consolation and desolation. I mean, I'm still reading, even my time alone with God, I've been in the gospel of John for like nine months and I have such life I'm in this gospel of John studying as part of my morning prayer. And I realize I'm just following consolation. It's such life to me. I'm just staying with it. So it's just, it's a life. So here's what I want us to do. I'm gonna give you about 30 seconds of silence with your pen. I want you to think back about first consolations and then desolations. So let's go back to this. And just list your events of the last couple of days and write it down and say, God, how might you be speaking to me? Okay, so let's begin Close your eyes for just about 30 seconds. I'll give you time when to begin. Let's be still before the Lord and wait patiently.